Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here again. <clears throat> oh, good, there's a water here. I was hoping. Excuse me a minute. So, I guess I got to turn this mic on, don't I? Do you, uh, did that do it? <laughs> I don't know what he's saying. He's waving something. I have no clue what that means. It's always a pleasure to be here. <clears throat> Let, okay, hang on, I'm gonna look. Um, there, okay. I, I don't even know if I have this thing on right. I, you know, I just guessed. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, so there's a red and a green. I got it. Now I understand. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. Uh, Pastor Dwight had asked me to preach uh, last Sunday and this Sunday, but my wife and I had a trip planned to go visit her 92-year-old mother last weekend, and so I wasn't able to. I heard that Mark Snowberger was here. Mark and Heather are dear friends of ours. In fact, two years ago, Jan and I uh, took a two-week vacation to Alaska with the Snowburgers. And so I'm really excited to be able to let him know that he was the second choice to preach last <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, he's way smarter than I am, but uh, uh, anyway, that's fun. <laughs> a lot of things happening for us right now, just a quick update, uh, we, we just had our 10th grandchild born one month ago, one month ago, and uh, then yesterday we were going to be at David Snowberger's wedding, uh, Mark and Heather's sons, but it was our oldest grandchild, our, our granddaughter's graduation party, so we've got one graduating high school, one just born, and, uh, and this this weekend, officially, I, I, have to, I have to sign up for Medicare. So it's all, it's all happening, you know. <laughs> it's all coming down. So Carl was right in a sense. Uh, uh, several years ago, I, well, he was wrong about a few things apparently. But <laughs> Revelation 4.11. I'm just saying. But uh, anyway, <laughs> several years ago I preached and then I, I thought I'd continue that. But last year I was graciously invited to come and speak for a little uh, retreat, a uh, couple's retreat that you had, and then I preached Sunday morning as well. And I, and I started in the book of James and preached from James 1, uh, four sermons, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and then Sunday morning. And so I thought, you know, let's continue that. So that's what we're going to do. Now, you should have a copy of the sermon notes. If you don't, uh, the ushers have some notes there. Just put your hand up, and they'll be happy to get those notes to you. I just make those available uh, to help you follow the flow of the sermon. And for some of you, obviously, it just, it just helps you know when I'm going to be done. The title of the message from James chapter 1, and this is really picking up from where we left off a year ago. There's a couple over here that need those guys. 
Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain, said, it is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That echoes teaching from Proverbs. And James' little letter here echoes that teaching as well. Chapter 1, verse 19 tells us that we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Those are good general principles, but I think James had something specific in mind. You know, in many churches, there are far too few people who are quick to listen and far too many who are quick to talk and quick to become angry about something. Those individuals are sometimes a little frustrating, sometimes nothing more than annoying, but when they fail to listen to instruction from the Word of God, or when they speak their opinions in opposition to God's Word, or they are angry to the harm of the people of God, then we have real danger. That's the issue that James is addressing in our text. He says, look at James 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James here, just as kind of refresher from last year, James is giving characteristics of living faith. Characteristics of living faith. What genuine faith looks like. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 18, he tells us that those with living faith grow through trials. We looked at most of that a year ago, March, I think it was. That, I don't know if those messages are available to you or not, but uh, if not, you just missed it. But here in chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, he gives the second mark of genuine faith. The first, those with living faith grow through trials. The second here in 19 through 25 is that those with living faith cultivate a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview. Verses 19 through 21, our text for this morning, and by the way, if you come back this evening, I'm going to be look at, looking at verses 22 through 25 as a follow-up to this morning's sermon. So I hope you'll be back this evening for that. But verses 19 through 21 more specifically teach that those with living faith welcome the Scripture in order to achieve the righteousness of God. We begin with verse 19 where James teaches us that we need to act decisively, decisively against spiritual danger. As I said, in some contexts, those who are slow to listen, quick to speak and get mad about things are dangerous. We need to act decisively against spiritual danger. And that means that we each have the responsibility to deal with this in our, li in our own lives. Now, verse 19 is built around a command in the heart of the verse. It says, let every person be. That's the command in the heart of that verse. And from that one command flows, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
In the original language, James actually introduces this command with the words, you know this. In other words, I'm not telling you something new. I'm just reminding you of what you already know and ought to be acting on. We will never outgrow our need to be reminded what God's Word says about how we ought to live. So James begins the verse by underscoring the fact that this danger challenges every believer. Every believer. Look what he says, my beloved brothers. This is a message for Christians. Notice also that he calls them beloved, a term of endearment and affection. That's interesting because throughout this book, James speaks very directly to his readers, sometimes very harshly. But just so they don't misunderstand, he says, you're my brothers and sisters and I love you. And it is because he loves them that he speaks very directly to them. In pulpits all across this country, pastors have bought into the idea that their job on Sunday morning is to make their audience feel good about themselves. I don't think they love their congregations. I mean, there are times when we all need to be confronted with the Word of God in such a way that, at least momentarily, we don't feel very good about ourselves. The good news is that when we're confronted with God's Word and we feel bad about the way we're living, the Bible also gives the solution to the problem, doesn't it? But the bad news has to precede the good news. So James says, I've got some hard things to say to you, but I'm doing it because I love you. Notice he says that every person should be these three things. This challenge is for every believer. There are no exceptions. We all need it. On rare occasions, I've had people greet me at the door on their way out of church and actually say, Pastor, boy, you really let them have it today. <laughs> and let's be sure that we know who I'm talking to today. <laughs> it's you. Every believer needs this, including me. I want you to see in verse 19 that the, the danger is selfish arrogance. Selfish arrogance. You might wonder where this verse is talking about selfish arrogance. It's there, but it blends in so easily. James is pointing out some of the evidence of it. He says you need to be quick to hear. And you need to be slow to speak. And you need to be slow to anger. He's getting at the heart of those issues. Furthermore, the contrast to these is in verse 21. Where he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Which is able to save your souls. That's the opposite of arrogance. Receive it with meekness. When he says to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's not talking about the speed of the activity. It's not that we need to speak slowly. <laughs> In the Bible, the word listen means to hear, 
with a view toward obedience. People are slow to listen because they think they know more about the subject than what they're hearing. People are slow to hear if they can't be bothered by what someone else is saying because they've already reached a conclusion. They know. You see the arrogance in that? Conversely, those people who are actually quick, uh, those people are usually quick to speak. Have you ever been talking to someone? I, I, I chuckle because I'm, I'm guilty of this and my wife's going to be like, uh, uh, uh. You ever been talking to someone and he has this distant look in his eyes like he's looking through you? He's not saying anything, but his lips are kind of moving because he's already formulating what he's going to say. That is, if you'll just stop talking long enough for him to say what he wants to say. There's no interaction. There, there's no discussion. He's already made up his mind. He just wants to say his piece. Do you see the arrogance in that? We all tend to do that. Do you see the arrogance in passing judgment before you've heard what is said? Making up your mind, rushing to make your opinion known? He says also that we must be slow to become angry. Now I admit that on rare occasions our anger is justified and righteous. But it is rare. And most of the time our anger is sinful. Our anger is truly sinful when it's connected to our perceived rights. You know, I have the right to live in peace. I have the right to be appreciated. I have the right to preserve my property. I have the right to my space. I have the right to be treated fairly. And the list goes on. And the moment someone comes along and tramples on our so-called rights, we're angry. We all have an agenda, and when we get angry, it is usually because our agenda has been frustrated. Do you see the selfish arrogance in that? You see that? I believe that this danger, this selfish arrogance, reveals itself in disregard of two areas. And before we look at those two areas, I want you to note that some commentators think that James is just giving proverbial wisdom here for us to apply to general interaction in life. That is, everyone will benefit if we listen more and talk less and don't get angry. Now, while that is true, that is not what James has in view. James has specifically in view that we need to listen to instruction from the Word of God. So first of all, this danger reveals itself in a disregard for the Word of God. Now if I go back, he finished off verse 18 with a reference to God's Word. Look at that. He says, of, speaking of God's, of God's own will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. It's that mention of God's word that caused him to launch into the second mark of genuine faith. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This whole section is preoccupied with our response to the word of God. So when he says be quick to hear, he's not just talking about the niceties of social interaction. He's talking about the importance of giving heed to God's word. 
Someone might say, well, surely no, uh, no one in Christian circles would show disregard for the Word of God. Oh, listen. We all refuse to listen to it as we should. We all argue against it and its influence in our lives in a thousand ways. We hear instruction from the Word of God and immediately begin formulating our excuses. Well, I just don't have time to do that. I'm the exception. It, it wouldn't work in my situation. It, that's just not practical for me. At times, we, we even shamelessly argue against God's Word. We set forth our opinions as if they're on equal par with Scripture. Or masking it with spirituality, we give our opinion about what the Bible means. And we end up twisting God's Word to make it fit our agenda so that we can feel better about our disobedience of God's Word. Sin is not far from us when we ask things like, well, what's wrong with it? Or, well, the Bible doesn't say anything directly about that. Listen, watch out for those kinds of statements. We all have times when we're like some people <laughs> I've seen with hearing aids. Now, I noticed they asked me to put this on. I, this is just not normal for me. I feel very awkward with this microphone on. But they said that some people use this. This helps with your hearing devices, right? I think I see some of you using that. And, and I'm glad that's helpful. But I've seen sometimes people with hearing aids, and when they don't want to listen to something, they just subtly reach up. <laughs> turn it off or turn it down. We come into a service like this or a classroom where we sit with a teacher who cares about us and challenges us to do with what's right. And what do we do? Oh, we look like we're politely listening, but we, we turn them off. It's a disregard for the Word of God. Listen, not only does this danger reveal itself in a disregard for the Word of God, but this danger reveals itself in a disregard for the unity of the body of Christ, the church. He speaks of listening to God's Word and not speaking out, asserting ourselves over against God's Word. Then he talks about being slow to anger. Now there are two Greek words translated anger. One of them has the idea of explosive anger. That's not the word here. <clears throat> this word is what was used to describe a slow burn. It, it smolders under the surface. It gives rise to bitterness and resentment. God forbid that God's people should be resentful people. Bitter at one another. Yet sometimes that's the case. This is anger that happens when I don't get my way. It is anger that happens when we're more concerned with our own agendas than the body of Christ. It's anger that destroys the unity of the church. I hope you understand I'm dry today. <laughs> Listen, we ought to cultivate relationships within the church that promote the health of the body of Christ. 
We are saved to become part of a local assembly to contribute to the health of that body and thus to God's cause. We need to cultivate two balancing perspectives. One is acceptance. We need to accept one another as believers. The other is admonition. We need to challenge each other to do what's right. Acceptance and admonition. Those balancing concepts are essential for the health of the body. Resentment kills that kind of healthy relationship. There are people in some churches who have perfect attendance at business meetings, but not in any other service. They want their opinions heard. They are quick to speak, but their attendance shows that they really don't care what happens in the services or in the church. You see, they're slow to hear. And it's interesting that in many churches, those who are slow to hear and quick to speak are also the ones who are quick to anger and resentment. It's a spiritual problem. It's arrogance. We need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We need to act decisively against spiritual danger. And then we see in verse 20 that God's will for His people depends on this decisive action. Look at verse 20. For, the first word for, that is this explains why you need to obey verse 19. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He is obviously singling out anger from the previous verse. But what about speaking? What about hearing? Did he just set those aside? I, I don't think so. I think he's taken one of the three listed as representative of the whole. I don't think he has in mind the anger itself, but the underlying arrogance that he's addressing. He's offsetting it here with humility. If you live for yourself, if you do things your own way, however it's manifested, you're not going to accomplish God's will that way. On the contrary, your arrogance opposes and undercuts God's will. Notice we have a reference to righteousness in verse 20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's applying it to an individual's life but I think the application is broader than that. It's not just about your life and your well-being. It's about God's righteousness in all things. In this context, I believe he's talking about God's righteousness within the community of faith. He's talking about the outworking of God's will in the church. Now, in the Old Testament, the righteousness of God referred to the application of God's standards or principles and particularly his justice among his people. So James is saying, your pursuit of a selfish agenda is not going to accomplish God's purposes for his people. You will thwart, thwart that. It's a hard word to say. God wants his people to live in harmony and unity so that together we can accomplish his mission in a way that is free from distraction. 
It is never God's desire for us to waste our energy having to stamp out fires here and there just because God's people cannot get along. Your anger does not bring about God's will for his people. Now here in verse 20, the bar has been significantly raised as to why we need to root out our selfish arrogance. What's at stake is nothing less than God's will for his church. That's something that we dare not take lightly. So what do we do? He tells us in verse 21 that our decisive action must have two inseparable elements. Two inseparable elements. You cannot do the one without the other. The first one is that we must uproot the obstacles to spiritual growth. Uproot the, the obstacles to spiritual growth. Look again. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Literally, take it off. He uses a word that envisions stripping off filthy clothes. Paul uses this expression in many contexts where he talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new. It speaks of a decisive event. You must determine to deal with sin. James will go on to talk about doing something with God's word. This is always the pattern in the New Testament. We deal with sin to make way for the impact of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says... I should have said at the outset, and I apologize for this, I should have said I am using the ESV as a text and it might have confused some of you. pastor assured me it was fine, but uh, this is the English Standard Version. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. So put away all malice. Here's this, put it away. Throw it off. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then what does he say? Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You see, there are two aspects to this business of change. Number one, deal with the sin. And then two, do something with the word of God. Put off the sin and clear the way so that you can grow in the word. The first metaphor envisions stripping off filthy clothes. The second part of verse 21 gives a metaphor from gardening. He talks about the word that has been implanted. It's like a seed pushed into the soil to grow. The word of God is implanted and barely germinated. You need to hack, <clears throat> excuse me, hack down the weeds that have grown around it, sapping it of its strength. He calls the weeds filthiness and wickedness. He tells us that wickedness is rampant. We have a nice big garden in our yard. First year we moved there, about seven years ago we bought our house. and Jan said, Mark, I want to put in a garden. I'd like you to build a fence around it. I said, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. And I, and I meant that. I, I was excited about it. I said, lay it out. She laid it out. It's 20 feet by 48 feet. I said, oh. 
go big or go home. I built the fence, and it's still up, and the garden is doing fairly well. But have you ever left a garden alone? You ever just let it go for several weeks in the summer? <laughs> you may just end up mowing the garden down because the weeds are everywhere. James says the wickedness that chokes out the influence of the word is rampant. It's everywhere. He's talking to believers. When arrogance moves in, it won't take long before we fill the house with filthiness and wickedness. So we must uproot those obstacles to spiritual growth. And then we must learn to be controlled by the Word. To be controlled by the Word. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. He's talking about learning to be controlled by the Word of God. And he tells us, first of all, that an attitude is required. We must accept the Word humbly. Humbly. Now, this is the opposite of the arrogance that underlies the tendency to always spout off our mouths and give our opinions. In this context, he's emphasizing instruction in the Word of God. That's why he refers to it as hearing in verse 19. We need to cultivate relationships in which we eagerly receive instruction from one another, even correction from one another. Let that sink in. We don't like that. Think about somebody coming up to you and trying to correct you. Lovingly even. It, uh, it bristles us. Those types of relationships will not happen unless we swallow our pride and receive with meekness the implanted word. Not only do we see that a humble attitude is required, but a responsibility is commanded. We must humbly accept the word. He says, receive it. Some of you may recall the verse Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11 uses the same word of the Bereans. It says, now these Jews, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received, there's the same word. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They loved the word of God. They received it with eagerness. The word translated receive has the idea of welcoming. Like you would welcome who, someone who comes into your home. If you're going to welcome someone into your home, you anticipate, you plan, you, you prepare for their coming. You, you 
clean their room before they arrive and you put a good book on the nightstand perhaps. You, you might go to the store and get some special food to serve. You, and then when they arrive, you don't give them the inflatable mattress on the basement floor. No, the, you know, the one with the slow leak. You, you know what I'm talking about. But you give them a good bed. You, you welcome them. Yes. <laughs> I have my limits, though. I don't, they're not getting my bed. I'm just saying, you know. But, <laughs> but how different that is from the way we treat this blessed book from our God. There should be the same kind of anticipation and preparation for welcoming the Word of God. I mean, do you carve out the time to actually read his message for you? Or is Bible reading and study an ongoing frustrating, uh, frustrating part of your spiritual walk? When was the last time you said, I can't wait to get to church? And it had nothing to do with seeing your friends or enjoying some activity, but you couldn't wait to hear the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. When was the last time you had that attitude towards God, toward God's word? Oh, God, help us to look forward to it. When something utterly unavoidable happens so that you cannot be here, does the rest of the week feel like you're lost? Like, like something's wrong? Or is the word of God something that you fit in only if it's convenient? Are you bored with it? Do you just endure it? Are you easily distracted? How, how different that is from the experience of believers in other countries who walk literally for miles for a church service and sit for hours and get disappointed if you preach a short sermon. A pastor friend of mine tells, a, uh, tells about a dear Christian man in China with whom he worshipped in an underground church house church. The man, a former Buddhist, was 65 years old. And had been saved for three years. And in the midst of a blizzard, he rode his bicycle all the way across town because he wanted to hear the Word of God. Jan and I have had the privilege to be in India. Some of you might know Daniel Santos Kumar. Southern India, we had the privilege of being there. I saw people who rode hours on a crowded bus. And when I say crowded bus, you, you, you just have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, literally like the cartoons with people hanging out the windows, literally. Rode for hours on a crowded bus just to get to church on Sunday, only to sit on a cold hard floor for hours as they drank in the word of God and my host Santosh said to me uh, listen if you only preach a half an hour they're going to feel like they got gypped they came all this way they want to hear some preaching <laughs> I had to lengthen my sermons Friends, we must humbly accept the Word of God. You may ask, where do I start with this? Well, the good news is that a resource is available. 
The word of God, it says, is planted in us. James says to receive or welcome the implanted word. It's already been implanted if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It, it, it may be barely germinated. It may not be growing. It may be crowded over with the weeds, the filthiness and wickedness that he mentions in verse 21. You may have gardening to do to remove those weeds, but the word has been planted. and You need to do the work of cultivating and watering, and it will grow. And if it doesn't, in the words of Peter, you need to confirm your calling and election. James finishes this by showing that an outcome is promised. Our ultimate salvation. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Then he adds, which is able to save your souls. Now, some see this as a promise that if you get rid of all sin, or, or, or if you'll get rid of sin and welcome the word then at some point in the future you might be saved. That's not what James is saying. He's talking about saving your soul. He gives us God's word as a motivation, but the way he words this is a little confusing. And the reason for the confusion is because our word saved means to be delivered. And we're accustomed to using it only as a reference to the time when we recognized our sinfulness and that God sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins. So we turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus and we were delivered from the penalty of our sins. And that's true. But we tend to view it only in that way. The Bible uses it in two other ways. Not only does it talk about deliverance from the penalty of our sins, it also talks about being saved or delivered from the power of our sin. The control that it has over us. The Word of God can help us loosen the grip that sin has on our lives so that we are increasingly changed to be more like Christ. And then the Bible uses the word Saved, delivered, to describe being saved or delivered from the very presence of sin, looking ahead to our ultimate salvation. It talks about being saved when we're with Christ. So when the Bible talks about God's people being saved, it envelops the whole thing. There was a time when I became a child of God seeking forgiveness for sin. I was saved. But day by day, <clears throat> I am now being saved as God is doing a work transforming me to be more like Christ. And one day that work will be complete when I will stand before Him and be like Him. And it's all being saved. James says you have been saved you need to do the work of rooting up the sin that distracts you from the important stuff. You need to cultivate the Word of God, welcoming it into your lives, eagerly anticipating that Word because it makes you more like Christ. And God promises that it will bring you to the culmination of God's plan when you will ultimately be saved. What a wonderful promise. 
Now, there are some practical things that you need to do in order to welcome the Word of God. The Word is already planted in you. So how do you cultivate it? I'm just going to close with a couple of practical things here. And I put them in your notes. First, pray about your own attitude toward the Word. A prayer like, Lord, I have not developed a taste for the Word. I don't eagerly anticipate learning it. I don't welcome it. Oh, Lord, help me with that. That's a prayer that God would delight to answer. Secondly, prepare to take in the Word of God. There are many things you could do to accomplish that. I could spend a lot of time on this, but I won't. But do you have a time and place where you sit down with your Bible to meet God and His Word? If not, you're not preparing to welcome the Word. Do you make participation in the services of this church the priority of your week? If not, you're not preparing to welcome His Word. I mean, take the steps necessary to make worship in the Word the priority of the week. And make meeting God in His Word the priority of your day. And then thirdly, I suggest that you should sanctify God's Word by minimizing cultural distractions from it. When I say sanctify, I mean set it apart. We are bombarded by glitz and glamour and excitement and sounds and images. All the stuff that bombards us every day tends to dull our taste for serious reflection required to welcome the Word of God. Let's take some time to turn it down, turn it off, and be alone. I want to say that again. Let's take the time to turn it down, turn it off, and be alone. Minimize the distractions. Let's cultivate a taste for the Word of God. Oh, there's a great deal at stake here. The righteousness of God is at stake. And you know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this powerful passage from your word. Help us to put some things into practice this week in order to please you in the way we live. Help us to welcome your word, to be quick to listen to it, slow to speak and slow to anger for the sake of the body of Christ and your will in the church and in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.